Star Wars, The Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly, read by Alec Bowles. Han Solo's Revenge For Cargo Master Apprentice Dane Thorson, Chief Scout Adam Reith, Jason Denault, Jamie Retief of the Corps Diplomatique Terrestrienne, and all others of that rare stripe, and who are they, anyway? These so-called free traders and independent spacers? Rogues, scoundrels, and worse. The common slang talk term, freighter bums, is more applicable, surely. Beware to the shipper who would entrust them with cargo. Woe to the being who books passage with them. At best, they are Feckless ruffians whose unconscionable social values allow them to undercut the fee rates of established, reliable companies. More often, they're con artists, frauds, tariff dodgers, and yes, even smugglers. Is any rascal with a spacecraft to be entrusted with your livelihood? Overhead, administrative apparatus, and managerial proprieties. These are the best guarantees of a dependable business arrangement. Excerpted from Public Service Message number 122267-50. Sponsored by the Corporate Sector Authority. 1. Chewy, hey, I've got it! Han Solo's happy shout surprised Chewbacca so much that the towering Wookiee straightened involuntarily. Since he'd been hunkered down under the belly of the starship Millennium Falcon, welding her hull with a plasma torch, he bumped his shaggy head against her with a resounding gong. Snapping off the torch and letting its superheated field die, the Wookiee tore off his welding mask and threw it at his friend. Han, Knowing Chewbacca's temper, skidded to a stop and ducked with the reflexes of a seasoned star pilot as the heavy mask zipped by overhead. He took a step backward as Chewbacca stalked out from under the grounded falcon into the brilliant light of Kamar's white sun. Making temporary repairs on the damaged ship had brought the Wookiee peevishly close to mayhem. Han pulled off his wraparound sun visor and grinned, raising his free hand to ward off his co-pilot's peak. Hold on, hold it. We've got a new holo feature. Saniad just brought it. To prove it, Han held up the cube of clear material. Chewbacca forgot his anger for the moment and made a lowing interrogative sound. It's some kind of musical story or something, Han replied. The customers probably won't understand this one either. But are we going to pack them in now? Music, singing, dancing. Han, waving the cube, beamed happily over their good fortune. He still retained a good deal of the ranginess of youth, but combined it with much of the confidence of maturity. He had shucked his vest in the heat of Kamar, and his... Sweat-stained pullover shirt clung to his chest and back. He wore high spaceman's boots and military-cut trousers with red piping on their seams. At his side was a constant companion, a custom-made blaster 
that was fitted with a rear-mounted macroscope. Its front sight blade had been filed off with the speed draw in mind. Han wore it low and tied down at his right thigh in a holster that had been cut away to expose his sidearm's trigger and trigger guard. Chewie, we're going to be pulling in customers from all over the Badlands. With a non-committal grunt, Chewbacca went to pick up the fallen plasma torch. Kamar's sun was lowering at the horizon, and he'd done just about all he could to make the ship spaceworthy anyway. He was large, even for a Wookiee, an immense, shambling, man-shaped creature with radiant blue eyes and a luxurious red-gold-brown pelt. He had a bulbous black nose and a quick, fang-filled smile. He was gentle with those whom he liked and utterly ferocious toward anyone who provoked him. There were few of his own species to whom Chewbacca was as close as to Han Solo, and the Wookiee was, in turn, Han's only true friend in a very big galaxy. Gathering his equipment, Chewbacca trudged back out from under the ship. Leave that stuff, Han enjoined him. Saniad's coming by to say hello. He indicated Saniad's ship, a light cargo job, parked on her sand-skid-mounted landing gear some distance out on the flats. As he had been close to the blast of his plasma torch, Chewbacca hadn't even heard the landing. Saniad, a compact, gray-haired little man with a cocksure walk and a rakish tilt to his shapeless red bag of a hat, was approaching slowly behind Han. He took in the Falcon's temporary resting place with an amused eye. Being a former smuggler and bootlegger, one of the fastest smuggling ships in space, she looked out of place here in the middle of the Kamar Badlands, with little to see in any direction but sand, parched hills, miser plants, barrel scrub, and stingbrush. The hot, white sun of Kamar was lowering, and soon, Saniad knew, night scavengers would be leaving their burrows and dens. The thought of digworms, blood sniffers, night swiss, and hunting packs of howl runners made him shiver a little. Saniad hated crawly things. He waved and called a greeting to Chewbacca, whom he'd always liked. The Wookiee returned the wave offhandedly, booming a friendly welcome in his own tongue while ascending the ramp to stow his welding equipment and run a test on his repair work. The Millennium Falcon sat on her triangle of landing gear near a natural open-air amphitheater. The encircling slopes showed the prints and tail scuffs left on previous occasions by the Badlanders. Down in the middle of the depression, the stubborn plant life of Kamar had been cleared away. There rested a mass audience holoprojector, a commercial model that resembled in size and shape a small spacecraft's control console. I got word that you wanted a holo feature, any holo feature, Saniad remarked following Han down the side of the bowl. Love is waiting was all I could find on short notice. It'll do fine, just fine, Han assured him, fitting the cube into its niche in the projector. These simpletons will watch anything. I've been running the only holo I had, a travelogue, for the past 11 nights. 
They still keep coming back to gawk at it. The sun was ready to set, and dusk would come rapidly. This part of the Badlands was close to Kamar's equator. Removing the sweatband he'd been wearing around his forehead, Han bent over the holo projector. Everything checks out. We have ourselves a new feature tonight. Come on back to the Falcon, and I'll let you help me take admission. Saniad scowled at having to turn around and climb the bowl again. I got word on the rumor vine that you were here. But I couldn't understand how in the name of the original light you and the Wookiee ended up showing Holo to the Kamar Badlanders. Last I heard, you two took some fire on the Rampa Rapids. Han stopped and scowled at Saniad. Who says? The little man shrugged elaborately. A ship looks like a stock freighter, but she's leaking a vapor trail on her approach, and the Rampa Skywatch figures she's a water smuggler. They shoot at her when she won't heave to, but she dumps her load maybe 5,000 liters and cuts deeper into the traffic pattern. What with the thousands of ships landing and lifting off all the time, they never got a positive ID on her. And you were seen on Rampa. Han's eyes narrowed. Too much chatter can get you into trouble. Didn't your mother ever tell you that, Saniad? Saniad put on a big grin. What she told me was never to talk to strangers. And I haven't. Not about this, Solo. But I'd have thought you'd have known better. Didn't you check for leakage? Han relaxed and shifted his feet. Next time I'll install the damn tanks myself. That was pure, raw mineral water. Sweet and natural and expensive as hell to haul. Worth a fortune on Rampa. Where all they've got is that recycled chemical soup. Too bad. Anybody who makes it down the Rampa Rapids with a load of fresh water these days is a rich man. What Han didn't mention, though he assumed Saniad had concluded as much, was that he and Chewbacca had lost all the money they had saved during those two and a half minutes of fun and excitement in the Rampa approach corridors. As it was, I landed with nothing but the general cargo I was lugging as cover. And somebody messed up on that, too. Instead of 12 of the lock filler holo models, I had 11 of them and this old Brasso Mark II. The consignee would only accept the 11 lock fillers and finally wouldn't pay because he'd been shorted. The shipper liquidated right after I lifted off. And you know how much I hate police and courts, so I was stuck with that holo projector. Well, I see you didn't let it put you out of business, Solo. I'll say that for you, Saniad granted. Inspiration's my specialty, Han agreed. I knew it was time to get out of the corporate sector for a while anyway, and I figured the locals out here in the Badlands would be crazy over holos. I was right. Wait till you see. Oh, and thanks for fronting for the holo. I didn't, Saniad answered as they resumed their way. I know someone who rents them, and love is waiting is about the oldest he's got. On my return leg, I'll swap him whatever you've got and pick up a bit of cash on the side. My cut, all right? The deal sounded good to Han. They returned to the Falcon, where a variety of local trade goods had been heaped at the foot of the starship's main ramp. As Han and Saniad arrived, 
A labor droid came clumping down the ramp, bearing a plastic extrusion carton containing more Camarian wares of various sorts. The droid was somewhat shorter than Han, but barrel-chested and long-armed, and moved with a slight stiffness that indicated a heavy-duty suspension system. It had been designed in the image of man, with red photoreceptors for eyes and a small vocoder grill set in his blank metallic face where a mouth would have been set. His durable body was finished in a deep, gleaming green. How's you afford a brand new droid? Saniad asked as the machine in question set down its burden. I didn't, Han answered. He said they wanted to see the galaxy, but sometimes I think they're both circuit crazy. Saniad looked puzzled. Both? Watch. The droid, having completed his chore, Han commanded, Hey, Bollocks, open up. Of course, Captain Solo. Bollocks answered in a casual drawl and obligingly pulled his long arms back out of the way. His chest plastron parted down the center with a hiss of pressurized air, and the halves swung outward. Nestled among the other elements in his chest was a small, vaguely cubical computer module. An independent machine entity painted a deep blue. A single photoreceptor mounted in a turret at the module's top came alight, swiveled, and came to rest on Han. Hello, Captain, piped a childlike voice from a diminutive vocoder grill. Well, of all the... Saniad exclaimed, leaning closer for a better look as the computer's photoreceptor inspected him up and down. That's Blue Max, Han told him. Max, because he's packed to his little eyebrows with a computer probe capacity, and Blue, for obvious reasons. Some outlaw techs put these two together like that. He thought it best not to go into the wild tangle of crime, conflict, and deception surrounding a previous adventure at the secret authority installation known as Star's End. Bollocks' original, ancient body had been all but destroyed there, but the outlaw techs had provided him with a new one. The droid had opted for a body much like his old one, insisting that durability, versatility, and the capacity to do useful work had always been the means to his survival. He had even retained his slow speech pattern, having found that it gave him more time to think and made humans regard him as easygoing. When they were manumitted, they asked to sign on with me, Han told Saniad. They're swapping labor for passage. Those are the last of the trade articles we've accumulated, sir, Bollocks informed Han. Good. Close up and go restow all the loose gear we had to move around. The plastron halves swished shut on Blue Max, and Bollocks obediently returned up the ramp. But Solo, I thought you always said you'd disavow all machinery that talks back, Saniad reminded him. A little help comes in handy sometimes, Han answered defensively. He avoided further comment, remarking, Ah, the rush is about to start. Out of the gloom, figures were hurrying toward the starship, pausing at a cautious distance. The Kamar Badlanders were smaller and more supple than other Camarians, and their segmented exoskeletal chitin was thinner and of a lighter color. 
matching the hues of their home terrain. Most of them rested in the characteristic pose of their kind, on their lowermost set of extremities and their thick, segmented, prehensile tails. Listic, one of the few badlanders whom Han could tell from the others, approached the falcon's ramp. Listic had been among the very few to watch the holos on the first evening Han had offered them, and he'd shown up every evening thereafter. He seemed to be a leader among his kind. Now Listic was sitting on his tail, leaving his upper two sets of brachia free to gesture and interweave as Camarians loved to do. The Badlanders' faceted, insectile eyes showed no emotion Han had ever been able to read. Listic wore an unusual ornament, a burned-out control integrator that Chewbacca had cast aside. The Camarian had scavenged and now wore it, bound by a woven band to the front of his gleaming spherical skull. Listic spoke a few phrases of basic, possibly one of the reasons he was a leader. Once more, he asked Han the question that had become something of a formula between them. In a voice filled with clicks and glottal stops, he queried, Will we see Maktaklep, your holos, tonight? We have our Kamai. Sure, why not? Han replied. Just leave the Kamai in the usual place and take a, he almost said seat which would have been a difficult concept for a Camarian. A place below. The show starts when everybody's down there. Listic made the common Camarian affirmative, a clashing together of the central joints of his upper extremities, sounding like small cymbals. From his side, he uncorded a wound scrap of miser plant leaf and laid it down on a trading tarp Han had spread out at the base of the ramp. Listic then scuttled down into the open-air theater with the swift, fluid gait of his species. Others began to follow, leaving this leaf-wrapped treasure or that handicraft or artwork. Often one badlander would offer something that constituted the contributions for himself and several companions. Han raised no objection. Business was good, and there was no reason to push for all the market would bear. He liked to think he was building goodwill. The Badlanders, who weren't used to congregating, tended to find their places on the slopes in small clusters, keeping as much distance between groups as possible. Among the payments were water extraction tubes, pharynx flutes, minutely carved gaming pieces, odd jewelry intended for the exotic Camarian anatomy, amulets, a digworm opener, chipped from glassy stone and nearly as sharp as machined metal, and a delicate prayer necklace. Earlier on, Han had been forced to dissuade his customers from bringing him night-swift gruel, boiled howl-runner, roast stingworm, and other local delicacies. Han picked up the twist of leaf Listic had left, opened it on his palm, and showed it to Saniad. Two small, crude gemstones and a sliver of some milky crystal lay there. You'll never get to be a man of leisure at this rate, Solo, opined Saniad. Han shrugged, rewrapping the stones. 
All I want is a new stake so I can lay in a cargo and get the Falcon repaired. Saniad studied the starship that had once been and still looked very much like a stock light freighter. That she was heavily armed and amazingly speedy was something Han preferred not to have show externally. Such display of force would have been too likely to arouse the curiosity of those entrusted with enforcement of the law. She looks space-worthy enough to me, Saniad commented. Same old falcon. Looks like a garbage sledge. Performs like an interceptor. She'll run. Now that Chewie's welded the hull, Han conceded. But some of the control circuitry that was shot up over Rampa was about ready to give up when we got here. Before we came out into the Badlands, we had to lay in some new components, and about the only thing you can get here on Kamar is fluidic systems. Saniad's face turned sour. Fluidics? Solo, dear fellow. I'd rather steer my ship with a blunt pole. Why couldn't you get some decent circuitry? Han was poring over the rest of this take. This is a nowhere planet, pal. They've still got nationalism and their weapons, in the advanced places, I mean, not out here in the Badlands, are at the missile-delivered nuclear explosive stage. So, of course, someone developed a charged particle beam to mess up missile circuitry, and naturally everyone turned to fluidics because shielded circuitry was a little beyond them. So now, fluidics is the only type of advanced systems they've got here. We had to load up on adapter fittings and interface routers and use gas and liquid fluidic components. I hate them. Han stood up again. I can't stand the thought of all those flow tracks and micro-valves in the Falcon, and I can't wait to rip them out and retool her. He held up and studied with pleasure a statuette carved from black stone, exquisitely detailed and no bigger than his thumb. And the way things are going, that shouldn't take too much longer. He put the statuette down in the much smaller of two piles of goods that had been stacked around the starship's ramp. The larger one consisted of trade articles of relatively great bulk and little value, including musical instruments, cooking utensils, tunneling tools, chitin paints, and the portable awnings the Badlanders sometimes used. The smaller pile held all the semi-precious stones, much of the artwork, and a number of the finer tools and implements. The amassed goods had been cluttering up the Falcon, stored here and there in available corners of the ship over the past eleven local days. While Chewbacca had been completing repairs that afternoon, Bollocks and Han had hauled all the stuff out for sorting and to determine just what it was they had accumulated. Maybe not, Saniad agreed. Badlanders don't usually trade like this. They're very jealous of their territory. I'm amazed that you've got them flocking together here. There's nobody who doesn't enjoy a good show, Han told him, especially if they're stuck out in a hole like this place. Or else I wouldn't have all this junk. He watched the last of the stream of Camarians make their way down and take up their three-point resting positions. Wonderful customers, he sighed fondly. But what'll you do with all the bulky stuff? Saniad asked. 
falling in as Han started down for the center of the amphitheater again. We're planning a going-out-of-business sale, Han declared. Very good deals. Everything must go. Super discounts for steady customers and compact items offered in trade. He rubbed his jaw. I may even sell old Listic, the holo projector, when I go. I'd hate to see the old solo holo theater close down. Sentimentalist. So I don't suppose you need work right now? Han looked quickly at Sonyad. What kind of work? Sonyad shook his head. I don't know. Words out back in the corporate sector that there are jobs to be had, runs to be made. Nobody seems to know the details, and you never hear names. But word is that if you make yourself available, you'll be contacted. I've never worked blind, Han said. Nor I. That's why I didn't get in on it. I thought you might be sufficiently hard up to be interested. I must say, I'm glad you're not solo. It all sounds a bit too tricky. I just thought you might like to know. Assuring himself of the holoprojector settings, Han nodded. Thanks. But don't worry about us. Life's a banquet. I might even do this some more. Hire out a few projectors and hire local crews on these slowpoke worlds to run them for a split. It could be a sweet, legal little racket, and I wouldn't even have to get shot at. By the way, Saniad said, what's the other feature? the one you've been showing all along. Oh, that? It's a travelogue. Barn, world of water. You know, life among the amphiboid fishers and ocean farmers in the archipelagos. Deep-seat wildlife, ocean bed fights to the death between some really big lossers and a pack of cheeb. Things like that. Want to hear the narrative? I've got it all memorized. Thank you, no, Saniad replied, pulling his lower lip thoughtfully. I wonder how they'll react to a new feature. They'll love it, Han insisted. Singing, dancing. They'll be tapping their little pincers off. Solo. What was the word listic used for the admission price? Kamai. Han was finishing fine adjustments. They didn't have any word for admission, but I finally got the idea across to listic and spotty basic, and he said the words kamai. Why? I've heard it before. Here on Kamar. Saniad put the thought aside for the moment. The holo feature appeared in mass audience projection, filling the air over the natural amphitheater. The Badlanders, who had been swaying gently in the hot night breeze and clicking and chittering among themselves, now became utterly silent. Love is Waiting was standard fare, Han recalled. It opened without credits or title, which would appear shortly superimposed on the opening number. That was just as well, Han reflected, since abstract symbols would mean about as much to Kamar Badlanders as particle physics meant to a digworm. He wondered what they would think of human choreography and music, of which there had been none in Barn World of Water. The feature opened with the woebegone hero stepping off a transporter beltway en route. With some misgiving, to a job with a planetary modification firm. A catchy beat, intended to inform the viewer that a production number was coming, began. Something appeared to make the Badlanders uneasy, however. The clicking and chittering grew louder. Nor did it abate when the hero collided with the ingenue, and their introduction led to his song cue.
before the hero had even gotten through the first of his lyrics, discord among the Chimerians was drowning out the music. Several times, Han caught the name of Listic. He raised the volume a little, hoping the crowd would settle down, puzzling over what had them so agitated. A stone sailed out of the darkness and bounced off the holo projector with a crash. From the light spilled by the dancing, singing figures overhead, there could be seen the angry waving of Camarian upper extremities. Multifaceted eyes threw the light back out of the dark in a million fragments. Another rock clanked against the holo projector, making Saniad jump, and a flung howl runner thigh bone, remains of someone's dinner, just missed Han. Solo, began Saniad, but Han wasn't listening. Having spotted Listic, Han shouted up the slopes at him, Hey, what's going on? Tell him to calm down. Give it a chance, will you? But it was no use yelling to Listic. The Camarian was surrounded by an irate crowd of his fellows, all waving their upper extremities and thrashing tails, making more noise than Han had ever heard Badlanders make. One of them swiped at the burned-out integrator banded to Listic's skull. Elsewhere on the slopes around the holoprojector, shoving, arguments, and differences of opinion had erupted into violent disagreement. Oh, my, said Saniad in a very small voice. Solo, I just remembered what Kamai means. I heard it in one of the population centers to the north. It doesn't mean admission. It means offering. Quick, where's the other holo, the travelogue? By then, a mob of hostile Badlanders was slowly closing in around the holo projector. Han's hand descended toward his blaster. Back on board the Falcon, why? What are you talking about? Don't you stop and analyze things ever? You've been showing them holos of a world with more water than they'd ever dreamed existed filled with cultures and life forms that they've never even fantasized about. You haven't set up a holo theater, you idiot. You've started a religion. Han gulped, pulling his blaster indecisively as the Badlanders closed in. Well, how could I know? I'm a pilot, not an alien contact officer. He took a handful of Saniad's coverall sleeve and pulling gently, led him back slowly toward the falcon. He heard Chewbacca's alarm roaring from farther up the slope. Overhead, the hero and the ingenue and everybody else at the transporter beltway were engaged in a meticulously choreographed dance routine built around the ticket kiosks and turnstiles. The Badlanders at that side of the circle began to give way uncertainly before Han who tugged the frightened Saniad along after him. A number of the bolder Camarians rushed the holoprojector and began beating at it with sticks, stones, and bare pincers. Overhead, the dance number began to dissolve into distortion. Some of the vandals, or outraged zealots, depending on one's orientation, turned from the projector after a moment and advanced in a vengeful throng on Han, Sensing correctly that by simply refunding the Kamai, he stood little chance of mollifying his former audience-come congregation, Han fired into the ground before them. 
Sandy soil exploded, throwing up rocky debris and burning cinders. Whatever flammable material there was in the soil caught fire. Han fired twice more to his right and left, gouging holes in the ground in spectacular bursts. Badlanders fell back for a moment, their enormous eyes catching the crimson of blaster beams, ducking their small heads and shielding themselves with upraised brachia. Han didn't have to fire at the disgruntled Camarians between himself and his ship. They were giving way. Stay up there, he hollered up into the darkness at Chewbacca, and get the engines started. The crowd was doing a pretty fair job of disassembling the Hola projector. Its sound synthesizer was making simply random noises now, though at high volume. Love is Waiting had devolved to a sluggish flow of multicolored swirls in the air. As Han watched, walking backward as calmly as he could, Listic rushed in from the darkness, wrenched the integrator from his forehead, and hurled it to the ground, stamping and grinding it into the dust as he beat at the holo projector with his pincers. It looks like your high priest has split with the church, observed Saniad. Listic succeeded in wrenching loose a piece of the control panel casing and flung it in Han's general direction with a vindictive series of clicks. Feeling himself more the aggrieved party than the one at fault, Han lost his restraint. You want a show? Here's a show, you rotten little ingrate! He fired into the projector. The red whining blaster bolt elicited a brief, bright, secondary explosion from somewhere in the projector's internal reaches. Suddenly, the sound synthesizer was producing the most appalling string of loud, piercing, unrecognizable agglutinations of noise Han had ever heard. The projection filled the sky over the amphitheater with nova bursts, solar flares, pinwheels, skyrockets, and strobe flashes. The entire crowd gave a concerted bleat and charged off in all directions up the slopes of the bowl. Han and Saniad took considerable advantage of the confusion by sprinting madly toward the Millennium Falcon. They could hear harsh chitters and clacks from both sides as Badlanders, having not yet vented their full outrage, began giving chase. Han pegged unaimed shots into the air and the ground behind him. He still hesitated to fire at his former customers unless it meant life or death. As they neared the Falcon's gaping ramp, Han and Saniad were gratified to see the starship's belly turret fire a volley. The quad guns spat lines of red annihilation, and a rocky outcropping already passed by the racing men was transformed into a mountain of sparks, molten rock, and outlashing energy. The heat scorched Han's back, and a stone chip whistled past Saniad's ear, too close for comfort but it put a halt to the Badlander's chase for the moment. When they reached the ramp, Saniad dashed up at maximum speed while Han slid to a stop on one knee to gather up what he could from the more valuable Kamai. A hurled stone bounced off the Falcon's landing gear and another ricocheted from the ramp while Han groped. Solo, get up here! Saniad screamed. Spinning, Han saw Badlanders closing in around the ship. He fired over their heads and they ducked, but kept coming. Backstepping rapidly up the ramp, 
Han fired twice more and fell when he dodged a thrown rock. He ended up crawling through the hatch. As the main hatch rolled down, Chewbacca appeared at the passageway, leaning out of the cockpit with an incensed snarl in his throat. How should I know what went wrong? Han bellowed at the Wookiee. What am I, a telepath? Get us up and head for Saniad's ship, now! Chewbacca disappeared back into the cockpit. As Saniad helped him up off the deck, Han tried to reassure him. Don't worry, we'll get you back to your ship before the grievance committee arrives. You'll have time to lift off. Saniad nodded thankfully. But what about you and the Wookiee, Solo? The starship trembled slightly as she hovered on her thrusters and swung away toward Saniad's parked vessel. I wouldn't come back for my profits if I were you. I suppose I'll have to head back for the corporate sector, Han sighed, and see what kind of jobs there are floating around. At least the heat should be off. I doubt if anyone's looking for me or this freighter anymore. Saniad shook his head. Try to find out what the job is before you get into it, he encouraged. Nobody seems to know what kind of run it is. I don't care. I'm in no position to be picky. I'll have to take it, Han said, resigned. They heard Chewbacca's dejected hooting, drifting aft from the cockpit. He's right, he said. We just weren't cut out for the honest life.